Welcome to the Preacher's Podcast for Proper 17 in Year A. Our series is The Church God Wants, and today we see that what God wants is a church that takes up its crosses. Let's meet our participants for today. With us for this series, uh, Pastor Daniel Bondo from Living Savior Lutheran Church in Littleton, Colorado, and Pastor Jeremy Belter from Shepherd of the Valley Lutheran Church, the Candelis Campus in Arvada, Colorado. Also with us today is Pastor James Tiefel from Trinity and St. John's in Mequon, Wisconsin. Good to be with you all today talking about this text uh, that focuses our eyes on the cross. Uh, Jeremy Belter, let's start out with um, getting a feel for what the main thought of this Sunday is in the Church God Wants series. Uh, thanks, John. Um, th this uh, Matthew 16 text really presents... In, I think in the series, but really also maybe more importantly in the ministry of Jesus, a, a huge shift in the way he presented his, his work. Um, and for the last, you know, two and a half years of his ministry or so, Jesus had, you know, the, his disciples saw the, the work, the, the person of Jesus. They, they knew who he was through his work, right? He's, he's healing the sick. He's, he's raising the dead. Um, in Matthew 14, 15, 16, we have a walking on water, uh, feeding the 5,000, feeding the 4,000. Um, Peter rightly says, you know, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus shifts their understanding or what they think or what they maybe want from him as the Messiah. Um, we have it in our own in our own language, right? Grease the skids. Um, we, we want a carefree, trouble-free existence. We want everything going smoothly. Peter wants that. We want that. And and then you have the Messiah. Well, if the Messiah is on your team, of course, everything is going to be carefree and grease the skids and, and life is going to be easy. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, it's about the cross. He is going to go and die. And 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 then he, he opens it up even more for his disciples of all time. If anybody wants to follow, you want to be a disciple, um, you're, you're going to have to deny self and take up your cross and then follow him. And, and this, this text is a, is a cosmic you know, shift in the, the, under, the teaching that Jesus has about himself and what he's going to do, but for the good. And, and it's also, I think, important for us as 21st century preachers, this is a big shift away from you know, what, one of the things that distinguishes a Lutheran Christian from Christianity in general. It's about the cross. We take up the cross. We preach Christ crucified. He's the only way to salvation. And we also see because of that salvation, we get to carry a cross in this world. It's not going to be easy. We're going to suffer for our faith. But the reality is, it's a mark of the faith. It's a mark that you are a child of God. So really, I mean, deep, rich text. And I'll, I mean, we were just discussing a little bit. You're going to have to cut yourself short because there's just so much good stuff in, in here to talk about. Yeah, for sure. Uh, thank you for that perspective on, on Jesus shifting expectations for his disciples. Uh, Daniel Bondo, let's go to you next. Uh, we will be looking at the gospel as the sermon text today, but could you remind us of what the first and second readings are? Thank you. Sure. For uh, this series of readings that we have in front of us, we're going to see in both of them, just as a summary, uh, a contrast that plays out as believers end up struggling with two versions of life 
in terms of a pursuit, one that would be a life with God in the way of the cross. And then you're also going to see this life without God that's after worldly things. That's most obvious, of course, in Matthew 16, but each word of God, uh, not just the gospel, is going to reveal those two different ways, showing the walk with God being immensely superior and demonstrating that by the glorious end result, the the end with God, the glory of eternal life compared to one who would forfeit the soul. Uh, so in Jeremiah 15 is our first reading, and Jeremiah is not okay anymore with his walk with God in terms of his expectations. Despite his faithful words and his faithful walking, Jeremiah has nothing to thank for it, so to speak, except persecution and suffering, and he's not fine. So he calls God um, a deceptive brook and a spring that fails. It's like bringing his, out his own you know, curse of what's happening to him. But the reality is that Jeremiah himself has gotten lost. He went to the wrong brook is really the, maybe the pun or something. Uh, he went to the wrong stream. He left God's way. He's prizing earthly ease or maybe even popularity or pleasure over this role and privilege and honor of being God's prophet. God had called him then to repentance. God reiterates the great purpose he has to speaking his word. Um, and God then commits as a with promises, I will make you a wall, but more than that, I'm going to make you a victorious wall. So now you get this end result that comes in as God reveals himself, not as a deceptive dry brook, but one that will not fail his prophet. He will ultimately rescue him and be a deliverer. The second reading is from Romans 8. And in these verses, 18 to 25, we are just off of an encouragement to living a new life, uh, committing to the struggle and living by the Spirit. And the last words that Paul used was the fact that we as believers share in the sufferings of Christ, and so also will we share in his glory. And then he begins the comparison that those who sh share in the sufferings of Christ, these present sufferings, they really aren't worth comparing to the eternal glory that will far outweigh them all. So there's a recognition that on this way with God, there's suffering and groaning actually by the spirit, a special groan we have in this world as we see it, it's sin. And we have this particular lament by faith and all of creation is groaning with it under the curse of God. But with those things of God in mind, we groan and hope as well. So it's adding not just maybe the, the groan of despair of a Jeremiah, but here you have the, the all believers groan in this world, and yet we do it in hope, looking forward to heavenly glory and the, the bliss of perfection, the redemption of our bodies. Thanks for those summaries, uh, putting the gospel now in context with the other readings of the day. Uh, now to our sermon text, Matthew 16, 21 through 26. Jim Tiefel, could you share some thoughts that emerged from your study of the text? I think that there's always kind of a temptation in preaching on this text to focus attention, first of all, on the cross that the believer carries. And then to kind of outline what the cross is like 
and to talk about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and then supply motivation by talking about the fact that Jesus came to this world to suffer and die and rise, and, and that motivates us to live our lives. I think that's kind of a synthetic approach to this text, mm. and I think that an analytical approach to the text works equally well and maybe a little bit better. So my thinking on this text would be to start with verse 21, carry it through to the confrontation with Peter, and then go into the denying oneself and the, and the cross-bearing. And I do that for three reasons. Jeremy mentioned one of them. The, the first is, is that this is the first time that Jesus identifies what, what the crossly nature of Messiahship is going to be like. And this was completely outside of the apostles' concept of what Messiah was going to be like. So it's huge that Jesus identifies this is the way this Messiah is going to go. Secondly, this account follows immediately upon Peter's grand confession about Jesus being Messiah and the Son of the living God. And I think it demonstrates how quickly it can happen that even confessing believers lose sight of the of the of, of of the description of how Jesus achieves power and how Jesus carries out power and glory in his ministry. And I think that, that thirdly, that discussion with Peter, what you're telling me, Peter, is a satanic thing. This is what Satan tried to do to me in the temptations. It is just as satanic or you, my followers, to think that success with God can be achieved through power or through earthly ways. So that's kind of what molded my thinking about this. And so for me, as I study this, the, the key phrase for me is, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but of human beings. And I, I guess I kind of prefer NIV 84's translation of ta as, as things, the things of God more than over against the things of, of, of sinful human beings. The, the natural idea, the natural human idea is that success can be achieved through power. It's the way everybody with a sinful nature works. And this was Satan's idea in tempting Jesus. And that was Satan's idea in discouraging Jesus. I think Daniel found the key when he talked about Ezekiel. This was also Ezekiel's complaint, that he expected more out of God, that he was disappointed that despite all of his work, the Lord had become for him a deceptive brook and a spring that fails. Um, so Peter's confession... After Peter's confession, Jesus really had to identify for him and for the others what the messianic task really was. This is, this is what God's plan is. And God's plan is, is that I am going to make myself nothing. And I am going to relinquish my own will to the will of my Father. Philippians 2 does that. The prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane does that. And Jesus says, this is how it works. 
Peter didn't didn't get that. Uh, Jeffrey Gibbs wonders if he even heard Jesus say and rise again. Um, that was not how things worked in Jesus' mind. Um, so Jesus gives Peter exactly the same the same rebuttal as he gave to Satan that this is not this is not how God works. This is what is written in the scripture, and you're not consistent with scripture. I think that Paul really explains that well in 1 Corinthians 1, 18 and following. So I guess my tendency would be to start with quickly reviewing what Jesus is saying and then explaining the confrontation between Peter and Jesus. And that would be the first point that I would want to dwell on. And I think in application, I would just talk about the natural inclination is to accept and to attempt success by appealing to power. And that that really has been the world's religion from the start. Um, you think of the grandeur of the Roman Catholic Church or the legalism of Calvinism or the success theology of, of Charles Finney. Um, or even this idea that ecumenism has, that the church is not successful until it's joined, until it becomes one visibly. All of that stuff is around. And, and I think it helps to point out to worshipers that this is always going to be a temptation for them. They're always going to have to deal with the fact that the theology of glory, and I don't think I would talk about I would mention the term, the theology of glory, but it's always going to exist all around you and you're going to see it. Whereas in reality, the theology of the cross, which is God's way of doing things, even though they seem strange or his glory is hidden, but that's the way to do it. In, this, in the second part of, of how I would preach this sermon, I, would, I think I would say that it is just as much a satanic lie to assume that power and all trappings will achieve success for me. Peter, Peter's phrase to Jesus was a satanic lie. It is just as much as a, a satanic lie that that will achieve success for me. If true success is found only in Christ, then believers must rely totally in Christ. Deny yourself. Give up your own inclinations, your own assumptions. Denying yourself, I think, is a more critical phrase than take up your cross in this particular text. And I think that this, uh, this whole idea of relinquishing control to Jesus may lead to the disdain that often comes to Christians. Um, repay evil with good which is the way the Christian would do it, the world would do it, repay evil with evil. And when you repay evil with good, then the world disdains that concept. You can, you can think of hundreds of other examples of that, how the world looks down on believers because they act like Christians. Um, the cross is often heavier in China or in Ethiopia or in Sudan than it is in North America. But I think you can help them to go through that and, and to see how that cross becomes obvious in their own lives. 
and and not everybody endures it in the same way. We, the, the cross is not the same for everybody. So the idea that you have to carry the cross in order to be a Christian, I think, pushes that that whole that the whole concept that Jesus makes. Um, whoever then succumbs to the idea that worldly ideas will achieve success may himself may save himself from some potential crosses, but eventually it's going to lose out on life that mm -hmm. comes mm -hmm. with Christ. And I think I think whoever loses his life is not a reference to martyrdom. I think whoever loses his life means whoever totally relies on Christ, who puts his life to the side and Christ's life to the fore, that that anyone who does that gains life with God, gains success. You can push that aside if you want to, but then you're going to lose life with God. So I guess in my mind, this is a this is a two-part outline. And for me, the critical phrase in this, in, in, when I'm preaching this text would be, you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of sinful human beings. I don't know exactly how I would word the parts of a, of a sermon like this. I think I would put that phrase into, into a theme. If you want to treat it the way negatively, the way Jesus does it, you could have a theme that says, if we do not have in mind the things of God, dot, 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 we undo the world's salvation and we endanger our own salvation. Or you could put it positively, have in mind the things of God for the world's salvation, which is objective, and then for your own salvation, which applies the last verses. So that's mm -hmm. kind of the way I'm thinking about how this text would be structured. Thank you for that. Yeah, uh, great suggestions. So just to kind of crystallize some of the things that you said, Jim, um, you're looking at the the malady of the text as uh, viewing things um, in a human way rather than God's way, uh, having in mind the things of sinful human beings rather than the things of God, uh, which results in, yeah, seeking after power, glory as a way to life rather than the cross. But so I think if you understand lines... the implications of the theology of the cross and the theology of glory, you kind of get what this is all about. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, other thoughts regarding the, the malady of the text, uh, Daniel or Jeremy, um, piggybacking on those thoughts or uh, additional angles on that, Daniel? Yeah, I think as you listen to what Jesus has to say, you can identify, you know, if you wanted to talk about the big three as a as specific applications of the things of God versus the things of mankind, you could talk about Satan and our sinful nature and the world, you know, with some opportunities to see people um, in a struggle. You know, you're at this, you're at this sort of crossroads that Jesus wants to identify one as really a false choice that you wouldn't ever make. But um, how that happens in the language of deny yourself against your sinful nature, you know, and, and what my nature is always going to present this other option. It's always going to be there to take this 
easier road, more pleasurable road, or, or what have you, some other treasure, some other agenda, something that's not God's way. It's always going to be there as long as you have a sinful nature. And, and then talk about, you know, like taking up the cross, if there's a, if there's some sort of suffering or, or persecution for Jesus' sake, that would come as a result, like, like Jeremiah did, you know, are you willing to speak the truth in love? Are you willing to continue to at least speak the truth instead of you know, morphing the church into something here at the crossroads where you could, you could not emphasize that doctrine. You could take that one out. We could, we could kind of massage the words. We could make compromises. And, you know, you kind of have this, again, it's a false choice, but it's, it's there as a temptation for us, as long as we're have this world. And then the same thing with following Jesus or what would the alternative be following Satan, you know, get behind me, Satan. So there's a, you've got this divergent, with all the the big three enemies of God's people and Jesus is the one recognizing there's a there's a fight to be had here and I the Lord I am in it and I am in it and I'm going to win um and he does this for us and it's sort of surprising um I think it's surprising to see the the how tempted we are by going the alternative routes. And I think, I uh, hope I don't confuse this at all, but there's some unique aspect to this gospel that speaks where Jesus, when we hear the summary of his way, that it addresses like the earthly, visible, observable nature of his death and suffering. What does he say to the disciples? He begins to teach them about being handed over. And he mentions these people groups. I mean, he's not doing Isaiah 53. He's not explaining like the purpose of God in like taking away sin and God is in this and fighting, you know, sin and 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 death and uh, or hell. Um, and it's interesting to me because it's like he wants to make crystal clear for them that while they exist in this world, they're going to be going such a different route. And if the Pharisees and the religious leaders have all this messianic stuff wrapped up in the, what, what Jim referred to, you know, success by power, you know, if they have all that, Jesus is indicating a death that because of his way that is mutually exclusive to all other concepts. And that is really intriguing to me that Jesus would have this like observable nature of his suffering. Like he's, he's talking like Jeremiah, like this is the stuff that's happening to me um, and doesn't even bring out yet for them the deeper nature of his purpose in taking away sin, you know, like Isaiah 53 does. He lets them struggle with what they're going to see him experience and mm -hmm. overcome that as I am opposed to this way and I'm good with it. I'm not Jeremiah. I'm okay with it. So I think that's an interesting way that this um, gospel speaks to the crossroads and steers us away. Uh, to that point, Jim? Just, and they're still struggling with it in Acts 1, verse 8. After, yeah. after Jesus announces the plan the second time, Mark tells us they still they didn't get what he was talking about. Right. You know, so it, it, takes a, it takes time for those things to develop. Right. Jeremy? Um, yeah, to, to, to piggyback on the, the two-part um, division that, that Jim had and to, to specifically focus on verse on the first part, there, there's really a neat 
you know, Jesus speaking there, I must do this. The it, it's necessary die in Greek. And then in the second part, you know, verses 24, verse 24, it starts out the same way. Um, if, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. So you see this necessity of, of the cross. And I, and I think that's the, maybe I'm, um, there's a little bit of so a little, some of the malady and then also the cure in the for the first part there, mm-hmm. you know the the cure is that he must do this and think about that he he and only he can do this. I must do this. This is the will of this is God's will and I'm going to do God's will, no matter what. And all of a sudden, Peter stands there and in a, realize what he's doing. He becomes this stumbling block, who's going to trip up the Savior. From doing what he's supposed and, and who would ever say, oh, I, I would never trip up the Savior from doing what Jesus, do your thing, right? And here he is putting out this stumbling block. And and so and and thinking about that in terms of a malady, how do we put a stumbling block in, in front of the Savior? Um, you know, in, in that in the same way that Peter did. But then you get to the second part, and, and maybe that's the second part is where it really the rubber kind of hits the road for us personally. Um you know, maybe as you know, as God's people sitting there in the pews on Sunday, and you're thinking, "Yeah, I, w- I would never do. I would never repeat it." Come on, let's just be honest. I mean, I go to the cross. I mean, I'll, I'll even pave the way for you, Jesus. Come on. But you know, think of how, and, and the commentary brings this out: how degenerate we are as individuals. <laughs> that in in we 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 cheer that, we applaud that. Go to the cross, die for us. We we don't speak a lot of injustice about that. But then, as soon as the cross comes my way. Oh, cry foul. God, what are you doing in my life? This is horrible. Injustice. What did I ever do to hurt you? I've been so good. And this necessity of no, it must be this way. There, mm-hmm. this is the will of God. And and so I think that second part is a really cool opportunity, like Daniel was saying, to take it from the, the big picture of, of salvation for souls down into our, our our congregations. Are we willing, like Daniel said, to compromise just a little bit here, a little bit there, right? It, it's going to put a few more, you know, rear ends in the seats. The, the statistics will look, look a little bit better for the for the bosses and wherever. Um, and then individually, as Christians, deny myself, take up the cross. What about the what the family that's you know they're never there on Sunday? Why? Well, we have to we have to go to the tournament again. We have to do that. And if I if I say no to that, if I say let's just say that specific, if I say no to that. And my, I'm, I'm, I'm taking up the cross of maybe my child won't be as successful in whatever sports mm-hmm. venture or whatever venture they're going into. Or I might be looked at a little bit. My kid might not get as much playing time because um, because oh he skips the first two hours and he's not he comes a little bit later. So all of a sudden my faith and my walk of faith, and my salvation it becomes a, a, this thing. I mean, am I going to put that down for the sake of this other thing? which I may have a little bit of success now, but I might lose what Christ has won for me for all eternity. Great. Yeah. I, I think the um, part of the bearing the cross is, and I like how Jim said this before, the essence of bearing the cross is deny yourself. So uh, here set before me is something pleasant that I could have if only I compromise the truth or or turn away from Jesus just a little bit, but rather than say yes to that, I say no to that um, and suffer some deprivation or some negative consequence, something. Um, but I, I see that also as the essence of taking up the cross. 
Um, and it comes in so many different forms. And probably your, your sermon will mention some of those by way of application uh, in that second part. Um, so uh, we mentioned cure a little bit. Um, how do you express the guy? I mean, this text is uh, Jesus speaking of the cross. It is Jesus with this stern rebuke of Peter um, <coughs> speaking of denying oneself. How do you express the gospel uh, in this text or what unique aspects do you bring out? We've mentioned some already, but could we just hit that again to make sure uh, preachers have some suggestions? Um, we'd like to go first. Uh, Jim? Oh, Jim, can you just activate audio, make sure that's on? I think in part one, you have a classic place to really preach specific gospel to preach to people when you say this is what Jesus accomplished by carrying out the will of God. He, he, he did this for the world and he did this for you. All of, all of this, this success story is yours. So I think, I think it's, it's very easy there. The motivation for encouraging the cross is kind of implicit. Um, but I, I, I think that the, text doesn't necessarily make it explicit. I mean, the, the explicit value is that you will save your, that you will save your life. I mean, that's the explicit value. But, you know, how do you, how do you treat that logical sequence that Jesus sets there? I, I think that there is probably, there is probably faith-strengthening encouragement toward faithful living, cross-bearing living, that dominates the second part. And I think the cure, the implicit cure for the whole of the Christian life is what Jesus did objectively. I could mm -hmm. see myself not necessarily making a big point of you will save your life in part two, but but saying this is what's on the line brothers and sisters and these are these are considerations we have to make now go and do that likewise you know that that idea right. maybe that doesn't make me much of a lutheran preacher but i think that's the way i would probably go with it <laughs> uh other perspectives on that the gospel cure uh adding to what we've we we've already said uh jeremy um yeah i, I just to add to well Jim's I guess so well what he so what he said so well that the first part I mean that's he's carrying our cross mm -hmm. he's right. suffering for our sins I mean Daniel talked you know Daniel mentioned you know that's he doesn't explain the purpose but we know right we know the end of the story that the disciples don't yet you know get that or understand that and but we can say that that's our cross I must do this and implicitly you know is for you I'm doing this for you, Peter, and for you, John, and for you, Jeremy, and Jim, and all all y'all. I mean, this is for, for the entire world. I'm going to do this. Nobody else can do this. And he goes and he does it for us, even though he's got all of these stumbling blocks. Nobody, you know, is is there with him. His disciples abandoned him on, on Good Friday. Nobody is staying. His father abandons him. I must do this for the will for the world. I mean, God's great exchange. He is taking our sin. I don't ever have to carry that cross, right? His cross is heavy. It's a cross I can never bear. I, I, I should, but I can't carry. I can't carry that. And I don't ever have to 
the cross of my sin, the cross of my guilt, the cross of my shame, the cross of hell. He carried that for me. I mean, that is, wow, talk about mm -hmm. this beautiful mm -hmm. gospel in the first part. And then driving that into, you know, the second part, if you want to start thinking, why am I wearing, why am I carrying the cross? I'm carrying it because of him, because of what he did for me. It's a, as, as Peter, Peter's going to write that later in, in his letter. Um, don't be surprised at the person persecution you're going through as if this were something strange, but rejoice that you're counted worthy to suffer for, for Christ. And then Acts chapter five, the disciples, you know, the apostles say the same thing when they suffer. It is a mark. It's the mark of a Christian. When I, I'm carrying that. I'm carrying that cross be, just simply because I am a Christian. It's a it's a beautiful reminder. I'm with my Savior. My Savior walks with me. I'm walking with Him. And and what comes at the end of it? Well, three days later, you rise from the dead. We believe in the resurrection. We believe in in heaven for eternity. We believe in eternal life. We believe in those things that Christ won for us. And that certainty, that hope, which is ours in eternity, gives us the strength. And the, and the motivation, the desire to keep on taking up the cross daily and following him because we know where he's, where he's ultimately leading us to. Yeah. Uh, Daniel, uh, adding to that, some gospel thoughts. Yeah, I think for this, God, don't get me wrong. I know that Jesus was you know, speaking as to the actual circumstances they would observe, but this, this text is so beautiful in the language that you still maintain about what Jesus is ferociously trying to protect. And when you when you think about the value of the soul versus someone who would gain the whole world, Jesus has just told you what he would what one thing he would take out of the burning house, what one thing he puts in the lifeboat when the Titanic sinks, and it's the value of the soul. His must to go to Jerusalem is this beautiful willingness on his part to lay down his life to spare our souls. He's taking on this militant one, this valiant one. If we're talking about the church militant, he is the great battle goer, right? He is our great substitute who goes and takes on every last dangerous foe and threat that our souls have to spare us from it. Mm -hmm. And when we take up the cross, it's just this beautiful alignment of the things of God as salt and light in the world. It's this alignment of our hearts to that redemptive work and its message in the world, both of our, our living against the sinful nature and our speaking in the face of the world and Satan's lies. You have this great harmony that, that Jesus wins his disciples over to. The character of the Christian life is to battle the same battle and to face the same foes. Not that we're going to pay for sins, but because they have been and to continue to um, take it, take it to them, so to speak. So when you think of you kind of think of these words as like throwing a challenge out to people and to say, check yourself, you know, what, what are you, what kind of life are you fighting for? Because there's really two, you know, there's, there's everything but Jesus. And there's the, there's the soul that Jesus is ferociously fighting for. And um, he does that for you. And now he continues a fight through his church, a church militant. So in, in context of our uh, series theme, the church God wants, a church that takes up his crosses, I think, are we really saying uh, this Sunday something like um, uh, God wants a church that understands how central the cross is, uh, and then we unpack all that goes with that, Jesus' cross, the crosses we carry, um, that that 
perspective is key to living as God's church. Um, I, I think that the, the emphasis is, is not so much to carry, but the emphasis over the whole text is to value, to understand mm -hmm. what the implications of Jesus' cross are and what the implications of our denying ourselves and carrying the crosses that may come to us, what the implications. I, I think that in the way both of you summarized the, the gospel in, in 21, how you, you know, how this, this is, this is what you would lose. This is what we would lose. All of this stuff that Jesus outlines, we would lose, but, but we haven't lost it and we have gained it. And that now you're, now you're, it's as good as it gets gospel wise. And now it's kind of time to say, okay, boys and girls, it's time to get serious now and think about what the implications of this are. You know, how do, how do I protect this in my life, knowing what the attitude of the world is? It's time to get out of the pool, it's time to get to work. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm not afraid to do that in, in, in preaching, even though Walter would not necessarily agree with that approach with law following gospel. But I think there is a, there is a, you know, there is a sanctification aspect here that I think is valuable. Yeah. Sure, I, I think uh, Jesus' words about our cross carrying um, speak to that. This this is the nature of living as one, <laughs> as a person saved by His cross, uh, means denying ourselves and following Him and taking up our crosses. Right. Uh, further thoughts, kind of on, on long lines of application, um, or how you would uh, express that. Um, anything additional, uh, Daniel? I think as the church begins to understand, as believers begin to understand the nature of this fight, they they also are supposed to um, hear these words of Jesus that and rise again, right? The, the, we are also to hear the and rise again as we take up the fight. And the same thing for uh, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. I mean, it's not, it's not just, a, it's not just the cross. It's, it's this beautiful way of Christ's victory that plows the, the road in front of us. So you imagine um, we have this expression of like being no worse for the wear. You have this church militant that goes out with its weapons and its long fight and its hard war in this world with real spiritual enemies, even inside our own hearts. And yet, no worse for the wear in the triumph of, of Christ and what he brings to our soul. It is a great application for us to do this with great courage um, and resolve, knowing that I'm going to come out. How did Jesus look at the end of the cross? How did Jesus and rise again and rise again? And what does he promise to Jeremiah? What does he promise to those who groan inwardly with the spirit? And, and it's this heavenly glory that far outweighs it all. And it's good to end there. It's good to encourage them as they take it up to say, this is God's commitment to you and promise to you. Mm -hmm. What he covers for you is you're going to end uh, no worse for the wear. Okay, so it, reinforcing that gospel promise to accompany the hard words about carrying the cross. Jeremy? And, I, and I'll add to that, you know, the, the way Jesus ends the section in verses 27 and 28, and you can, you know, for the son of man is coming in all of his glory. And so, I mean, there's a, there's an aspect of that, which is the, you know, there's the law part of like, oh, he's coming back. But, but as a child of God, I mean, if, if I am as, as Matt, as you know, Daniel just said so wonderfully, you know, I'm following him. 
I'm following. Where did where is he leading me? Well, he's coming back. He's coming back to take me to be with him. And so I think there's that encouragement that th there is this glorious end. And I, he rises after three days, right? There's the there's the cross. But guess what? Here is the triumph of what he won and it, uh, putting you know making that you know doing God's will won him you know eternity for us and and won our souls back and so that incredible value he put on us if he's going to do that for us he's not going to leave us here right. to, to to flounder and, and to fail and, and so on he's going to come back but he's also with us to strengthen us on our walk and so all those wonderful places where God where Christ continues to hide himself right be, be behind that you know in the word and in, in baptism and Lord's Supper these beautiful simple things I mean from a human perspective Oh, it looks so boring. You look like losers. Why are you doing this stuff over and over again? And yet in those very things, God gives us his glory. He gives us his triumph. He, re he, he fills us with all we need to be able to take up the cross and, and to follow him um, to, to eternity. So Jim shared a couple theme ideas earlier. Um, if we do not have in mind the things of God, dot, 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 uh, we undo the world's salvation. So speaking there, the Jesus prediction of his death uh, and part two, we endanger our own salvation, right? Rejecting the crosses we bear uh, ends up separating us from the life uh, that Jesus gives um, or positively stated, have in mind the things of God for the world's salvation, for your salvation. Any other theme ideas or um, concepts that uh, you're thinking about at this stage? for how to crystallize these truths into a theme. Uh, Daniel? I don't know if I'm really going to offer a theme through this, but there's there's something about the great view of God's agenda in this world. And to understand that this word cross doesn't come into our Christian existence without the full realization of sin and its consequence and its pain and it's hell, and it's, you know, all of that. You can't talk about cross without Genesis 3. Like, there wasn't one in Genesis 1 and 2, right? But now, with a fall into sin and all of all of its effects, there's this thing to be suffered. And I think to find a way to paint that before people's eyes, you know, if you were you going to say, um, are you okay? Are you okay if you're a by in this like bystander. You're not personally being. Are you going to okay to watch people suffer? Are you okay to watch this happen? If you picture the church as a sheepfold, is it fine that there's a wolf dressed in sheep's clothing just walking around mingling with all the other sheep trying to blend in? You know, is that all good? Is this all fine? It's, this life isn't okay, and God's great agenda is to speak to a way that says, let's not improve it. It's a, it's a Titanic sinking ship and let's save the soul. And there's, there's something to that in the word cross that takes direct aim at identifying what real good is and what real evil is yeah. and taking it on full throttle. Right. Yeah. God's uh, cross shaped agenda or something like that might be a possibility picking up on one of the early things you said there daniel uh jim yeah i just gripped christian worship read nobody ever wanted to sing this hymn and so we took it out but martin Franzman, weary of all trumpeting this is stanza three 
To the triumph of your cross, summon all the living. Summon us who live by loss, gaining all by giving. Suffering all that we may see triumph in surrender. Leaving all that we may be partners in your splendor. I really think that says what this text is all about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, beautifully stated by by Franzman there. Um, further thoughts or theme theme ideas? Anything else? Okay. All right. Well, uh, any final <laughs> thoughts uh, to share with preachers? I think we've shared a lot here. Probably a lot uh, a lot to wrestle with. And um, as uh, Jeremy said early on, there's so much here. You have to kind of limit yourself to the main points, but um, a lot of productive discussion today. So thank you, Jim, Daniel, Jeremy, and God bless you preachers as you proclaim the life-giving cross.